0: Tonight, I'd like to talk about the freedom of letting go. When you begin to walk this path of awareness, you can find the Buddha's teachings in some of the strangest places. There's a bathroom across the way from my room that I use very frequently. And there's a very ancient toilet in this bathroom. And the toilet has always kind of driven me crazy because it's pretty finicky, doesn't work very well. um, It's a little bit unpredictable, uh, but the bathroom is very convenient, so I keep using it. Well, when I came back to the center this time, the toilet was still there, but there was a sign in the toilet. And the the sign read this, this toilet is usable. But, and the but is in italics, requires patience and perseverance. <laughs> it requires patience and perseverance to flush properly. Signed, Meta. <laughs> Not that I want to compare our minds. <laughs> too closely to the toilet, but what I would like to say, and maybe you have a few doubts about this right now, is that our minds are still usable, and they are trainable. The mind is trainable. It's still possible, and what I mean by trainable is that it's possible that we can free ourselves of needless suffering that we can begin to discover you know, a peace that's unconditioned, that's unconditioned within us. And that's what's using the mind. When we begin to use the mind in the direction of freedom, when we begin to train the mind in the direction of wisdom and compassion, we're really using the mind properly. But it definitely, definitely requires patience and perseverance. I think that's particularly true, you know, in the first few days of a retreat. When we come here and say a few things about expectation in a minute, but we come with certain expectations or ideas, and then we encounter all sorts of challenges and difficulties, like sleepiness or restlessness, agitation, boredom, mind that's out of control, a lot of doubt, a lot of physical pain, and so that, that can become obviously quite a predominant part of our experience here. Fortunately, patience and per- perseverance is cultivated. We don't actually have to have it right away. In fact, patience and perseverance develops out of doing this practice. And whether you know it or not, it's helpful to know it, but whether you know it or not, that's exactly what we're cultivating here right now during this retreat. Really working on opening and allowing. Cultivating patience. And patience and perseverance are so useful. Not only useful in this particular context, but if you left this retreat with just a little bit more patience, a little bit more inner strength, a little bit more perseverance. If that's all you took from this retreat, it would be invaluable. It would serve you very well. The Buddha spoke a great deal about wise effort. Because, of course, he recognized how much effort it took for him to awaken. And and he realized that the nature of the mind is that it does require a certain amount of effort but wise effort is a little bit different than a lot of other kinds of effort that we're used to using in our lives. And wise effort really, is the essence of wise effort is the effort to be present. It's simply the effort to be awake and mindful and present. It's not the effort to accumulate experiences not the effort to achieve a particular status. It's not about becoming. Wise effort leads to a process of awakening. And this awakening leads to a letting go. And what we're letting go of is we're letting go of what brings suffering. Couldn't be more practical, couldn't be more useful. What we're letting go, whether we recognize it or not, again, is that we're letting go of our suffering. Wise effort is balanced effort. It's a balanced effort. It's a balance between two different extremes. The Buddha was really clear about this because he was very familiar with both. One extreme is... The mind that is striving. One end of the spectrum. Another end of the spectrum is being lax, being too loose. And the Buddha had a wonderful analogy for describing wise effort, balanced effort. And his analogy was learning how to tune the strings of a lute. You know, if the strings are too tight, it's really impossible to play. It's very difficult, it's painful. If they're too loose, well it's impossible to play music. It's impossible to play melodies. So it's finding that balance between the striving, being too tight and too loose. Characteristics of the striving mind, things like there's a lot of tightness or tension, there's often a clinging to some idea about how things should be or how things shouldn't be. There's a, a real desire for something to be happening, quite often a desire for something other than what's happening to be happening. In this striving, there's a, obviously an absence of relaxation. That's one of the reasons why we talk a lot about relaxing the body, relaxing the mind, is because a lot of us can get into kind of a striving mode in meditation practice, and so helping to bring the mind back into balance is learning how to relax. The problem with striving is it's unproductive. It often leads to burnout. It leads oftentimes to doubt, even feelings of resignation, because in some ways it seems like the harder we work, the harder we try, you know, the more tension and more suffering we're uh, caught up in. Lax, of course is really about not really making much effort to pay attention. And oftentimes being lax comes out of an attachment to comfort, an attachment to what's familiar, what, what's reassuring to us. It kind of gets stuck in that. And so we don't make the effort to pay attention. We don't make the effort to wake up and to come back into the present. And again, the problem with being lax, why, why it's not productive, is that again, it often leads to a feeling of resignation. You know, we're not tasting the fruit of practice because we're not paying attention. We feel stuck. We give up. It's necessary to discover balanced effort for each and every one of us. You know, there's no formula for what wise effort is. There's no formula for finding out what that balance is. It really varies from person to person. You know, some people are real strivers. Just won't budge. A lot of rigidity, a real a lot of pushing energy in the practice, and other people are very lax. You know, they sort of float through the retreat, and kind of take you know take a lot of breaks all the time, and and it's very lax. So, discovering you know that balance within you is a big part of the practice, and it evolves. Sometimes striving uh, isn't striving sometimes being lax isn't being lax, it's being relaxed and learning about that. One helpful way of bringing the mind into balance, if you suspect that you're striving, if it feels like there's a lot of tension or striving, trying to make something happen on the cushion, trying to make something happen in the walking, one useful way of bringing the mind into balance is to simply come back into your body and relax the body. You know, take a few moments, take a minute or two, and relax the body. You know, if you're sitting there, uh, there's not that much to do. Uh, you're being mindful of the breath, and you know, you feel this tension, this, this kind of pushing. Maybe there's a little bit of controlling the breath, you know, trying to control your experience. Come back into the body and relax the face. Relax the shoulders of the arms of the hands. It's extremely settling and relaxing. Brings the energy, brings the effort back into balance. Being. L- Discovering being lax is a little bit trickier, but I'll give you an example of what being lax might be. Might be. Don't want to be too judgmental, but being lax might be if you go out for a walking period, a walking meditation, and you take a couple of breaks for tea, you go to the bathroom two or three or four times, you check the bulletin board four or five times, just in case something changed, uh, then you go out and check the thermostat to see what the temperature is outside. And you kind of wander around. Maybe you go into the yoga room for a couple minutes of stretching. And then you go back to the walking meditation five minutes before the period ends. That's being a little bit lax. Okay. That's being a little bit lax. It's a good sign. Another way of describing wise effort, this is a description I like a lot, and that's gentle perseverance. It's really a healthy attitude to have in practice. Gentle, allowing, accepting, really training ourselves to respond to our experience, to respond to ourselves with loving attention, (coughs) loving attention gentle quality, and then the perseverance, you know, the willingness to stick it out, and you know, have the courage to meet the challenges, the inevitable challenges that we encounter along the way. To be steady, to be steady through the valleys, you know, those low periods, and to be steady when you're feeling really wonderful, really high, really peaceful. But to keep being mindful of what your experience is, you know, that continuity of attention, That's perseverance. That perseverance can turn into striving. So it needs to have that gentle, allowing, compassionate quality. And so learning to bring both of those qualities into your effort, really checking in regularly to see where that effort is. Is, Am I being gentle? Am I being persevering? On the way up to IMS, Larry and I uh, caught a ride with uh, Brahma Chariot, uh, and the driver was Roy. Roy's a really nice guy, and we're, we're getting kind of familiar with him. He's, he's given us rides before, and Roy recently found a job, and in many, many ways, this, I think this is the perfect job for him. He found a job in a place called the Farm School, which is in Athol, Mass., it really sounds like a great place. It's a place where uh, they teach kids for like a week at a time. It's residential. They teach kids farming skills. And it's really great for him because he's really a good, you get that sense, he's be a wonderful teacher like kids. And his job right now, it's, you know, it's the winter. There's not a lot of farming going on. I'm sure there's work to do. But his main job right now is training a couple of young oxen's isn't that a strange job. I couldn't believe it really. The people out there are training oxens <laughs> for a living. Uh, so, and these are young oxens. He describes them as adolescent. And I don't think he's had a lot of experience with oxens, but he's trying to learn as quickly as possible. Um, and he described his early experiences with working with these oxen and. You know, His first day on the job, you know, he kind of wanted to impress his, um, his employers, and so he really kind of pressed these oxen to kind of perform, you know, to do what they're kind of supposed to do, which is to drag. You know, the training is like learning to drag a log. Uh, and it was way too much for the oxen, that uh, they were completely uncooperative. And I think my guess is when they're uncooperative, they really are uncooperative. Uh, they do what they want to do. Uh, I don't think you can really stop an oxen from doing what they want to do. Um, so, what he learned, you know, very quickly, was that every time he started like pushing the oxen, trying to get them to do what he wanted them to do, you know, that there was some kind of edge in it. They became more and more uncooperative, you know, and they could they could really feel his tension. He wanted too much from them. And what he's learned, and, and there was a lot of joy when he was describing this experience, this learning process that he went through, there was a lot of joy in it. Because what he was describing was this letting go process. You know, a letting go of expectations of, that he was placing on these oxen and on himself. And then just learning how to live with them. You know, and learning and getting to know them. And learning from them how, how they're going to respond. And so it becomes much more of a receptive process, but at the same time, he hasn't forgotten his job, which is to train the oxen. They have a purpose, they have a function. And for him, it was very freeing to let go of that. You could see he really started enjoying it. There was a lot lot more joy in his practice, in his training the oxen. Well, we're training our minds, and it's very, very much the same. Minds are extremely uncooperative. In fact, that's an insight. You know, if you've had that insight, you're on the right path. It is very, very uncooperative. In the first few days of a retreat, we see that. You know, we can have the best intentions. And the mind doesn't necessarily go along. But what we can begin to do is work with our relationship to the way things are, our relationship to that uncooperative mind and learn patience, learn how to hold that uncooperativeness in a gentle way, not to judge it, but not to forget that we have a job, and the job is to train our minds towards freedom. It's an important job. Through practice, we do begin to let go of this burden of expectation. And this letting go of expectations in our practice is a very natural process. Very natural process. One thing I'd like to say right up front is that there's nothing wrong with having expectations. It's not like it's a bad thing. The fact is we have, all of us have certain expectations when we come into practice. And those expectations are conditioned by the past. You know, it could be uh, conditioned on our early experiences from childhood. It could be conditioned by Dharma books that we read. You know, there's kind of two sides to reading Dharma. One side is it's very inspiring, Uh, and you know, many of us wouldn't be on the path if we didn't pick up a book and read about it, Uh, but there's another side, which is when you start reading about other people's experiences, well, we kind of expect to have the same, and then we come on retreat, and it's really not like that necessarily, right away anyway, and so it often leads to a lot of doubt, and the problem with expectations is that it's a setup in a way when we come and have certain expectations of ourselves. Because what we're doing is we're creating this tension, or we're certainly discovering this tension between the way things are and how we think they should or shouldn't be. As long as we have expectations, we're going to be dealing with that tension, because the nature of the mind is that it's changing. If we have a certain expectation that it's going to be a certain way, We're setting ourselves up for discouragement, we set ourselves up for doubt. With practice, we begin to become more comfortable, we begin to be able to find a resting place in the way things are, not in the way things should be. This is an extremely empowering process. Because when we can begin to relax and open into exactly what our experience is, into the actuality of our experience, there's a tremendous unburdening of the heart that begins to take place. Because now our happiness isn't depending on things being a certain way. Now our happiness isn't dependent. It's dependent on the quality of awareness of what is happening in the present moment that's what beca- that's what matters at a certain point in practice i'd like to say a couple words about working with doubt because doubt does come up in practice it's one of the sort of the classic hindrances to begin to let go of doubt you know when i speak of doubt i don't mean the doubt I'm talking about is self-doubt. It's a contracted energy. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a doubt in yourself or doubt in your uh, effort in your practice. It, doubt is this kind of very contracted energy that can kind of undermine our effort, our aspirations in practice. Um, it's not inquiry. Inquiry is this very open-hearted looking at your experience, really investigating it. That's the great doubt. I'm talking about the little doubt, the doubt that really resides in insecurity and anxiety and fear doubt about ourselves. Beginning to let go of that through practice means being mindful of that experience of doubt when it comes up. There's no need to be afraid of it if it comes up, but there's no need to get by into it either. To take it for what's real. That is some comment on who you are and who the what the practice is about. The fact is Doubt arises, that particular energy, that, that mental energy, that doubt, that emotion, arises under certain conditions. And it always arises when the conditions are difficult, when something is happening that we don't want to be happening. You know, and like I said, when you come into a retreat, oftentimes you get hit with a lot of different hindrances, you know, multiple hindrance attack, you know, lots of different things happening at once, restless one minute, sleepy next minute, Bored the next minute, anxious the next minute, fantasizing the next minute, and then you come back to your breath. Sometimes it's like that, not always, by no means, but sometimes it really is like that. And so those are the conditions that give rise to this particular state of mind. And you can see it, because what happens when you start feeling really peaceful and calm? Probably everybody's had at least one or two moments in this retreat where you're feeling peaceful and calm. Immediately the mind says, ah, this is great. And you're not feeling doubt. You're feeling a little bit more confident. But then the conditions change. It doesn't last. If we cling to it, it creates tension. And then doubt arises again. And so when we can begin to recognize doubt for what it is, instead of buying into it, we can begin to let it go. Sometimes older students, you know, people have been practicing a lot, they have a lot of doubt in their practice, but they don't even recognize it. You know, there's a lot of faith, too, that keeps them on the path. There's also this gnarring doubt that they can't do it, that's it's, that it's out of their reach. that Liberation's just someplace else, and they're not going to get there. Um, and, you know, there's a denial about it, though. There's kind of a pushing it down, not wanting to look at it. And that, to me, is not the skillful way of working with doubt. It's much more skillful to look at your experience, and if doubt crops up, see what it is, that energy, that state of mind. Real confidence comes out of working with doubt. You know, When you face doubt in this, in this context, and you allow for it, but you keep persevering, remember that's the part of the energy, that's when we need perseverance. We need gentleness too, but we definitely need perseverance through the doubt. When we can persevere through it and we see a change, we develop confidence. It no longer pushes us around. Now, I don't just mean self-doubt in practice context, I mean self-doubt out there too. Because there's lots of situations that we live in, lots of conditions that provoke that particular energy. So learning how to deal and recognize learning how to deal with it here and recognize it for what it is so that it doesn't push you around very liberating very very liberating Another area of profound transformation in our life is another area of letting go. Is the area of life which I describe as habit. The power of habit. Learning how to let go of habit, our reliance on habit. I'm sure pretty much everybody here recognizes this fact that. When we live our lives habitually, you know, and so oftentimes we do, there's so many demands on our time, you know, cultivated so many habits over our lives, that when we live our life very habitually, we kind of go through the routine. Things become very mechanical. There's a growing feeling of discontent that develops. You know, there's this feeling, there's this growing awareness of a disconnect. There's not a connection to what you're doing if you do it in an habitual way. I think we all recognize that fact. And in, in, in that disconnection, there's this feeling of separation. A lot of suffering, a lot of pain in that separation. It's a separation from our bodies. You know, when we come on retreat, one of the first things we begin to do is connect to our bodies. You know, sometimes we don't like that connection you know, we discover tension that we've been accumulating and a lot of times we're accumulating tension in the body because we are dis- disconnected from our bodies out there. You know, We accumulate stress in the body and a lot of it is because we're not being aware, we're not being awake. We're just accumulating in a very unconscious way. We disconnect from our hearts you know, a lot of times we develop an indifference to suffering out there. You know, we get faced with it and you know, we get into our habit and our routines and we keep things at a distance. You know, within ourselves, we keep our hearts at a distance. When we rely on habit, one problem with that is that it limits us. It limits possibilities. It Limits possibilities of relating to your experience. In other words, when we're caught in habit, we keep relating to new experiences. In fact, every experience you have is a new experience. It's happening in a new moment in time, in a new day. This was a different day than yesterday. Tomorrow's going to be a different day than today. Guaranteed. It's always changing. But we keep relating to those experiences in the same way, out of habit. And that's very draining. It's not energizing. And so what we can begin to do with practice, and this is what we do right from the very beginning is to try to begin to pay attention to those areas in our life that have become very habitual. And this, of course, is one of the reasons why we emphasize so much paying attention to the ordinary experiences. You know, there's the formal sitting and walking. There's breathing, which is very ordinary. We depend on it. It happens. But outside the formal practice, paying attention to those ordinary experiences is extremely transformative. Because what we're beginning to do is let go of our reliance on habit and instead begin to establish a relationship to the experience that's much more direct, much more whole. You know, what we do at CIMC a lot, which is at CIMC, is we always take ordinary experiences and we give what we call homework assignments mindfulness homework assignments in our practice groups. What we do is we take ordinary experiences like brushing your teeth. You, know, you can even choose the ordinary experience you want. It could be brushing your teeth, shower, dishes, walking to the car, just about anything that you might do, sipping a cup of tea. Taking that experience that we take for granted, you know, that we do in a very habitual way. And Instead what we do is we take it as a mindfulness practice. In other words, can we be fully present? for that experience. And if we are fully present, what happens? Is it the same experience or is there a transformation that happens? The challenge about teaching in the city like that is that oftentimes people forget the homework, like right away. Like by the time they leave class, I have people tell me they don't even remember the homework by the end of the class. And you know, so it's tough uh, to be mindful, you know, to to take those kind of experiences. Uh, So oftentimes I, I make people tell me what the homework assignment is before they leave, so that it gets in their brain a little bit. Uh, here on retreat, we have a different conditions. You're constantly being reminded, incessantly being reminded, uh, to pay attention. You know, to pay attention to whatever you're doing. Sometimes that's a little boring and tiring maybe, but we kind of need it because we forget over and over again. So paying attention to our experience, just through the practice of mindfulness, we begin to let go of habitual ways of relating. You know, we begin to respond in much more creative ways. The activities that we engage in become energized because we're present. When we're not there, it's very dead. But when we're there, even brushing the teeth, I have people report to me that so many interesting things about brushing their teeth, or taking a shower, or washing the dishes, things that they discover along the way that they've been washing dishes all their life, but they didn't see, they didn't notice, they weren't sensitive to what was happening. And so simply through the art of paying attention, that experience becomes part of life. It be, it's, it's energizing, it gives you juice, there's a relationship that we establish. Sometimes that relationship is tense, or it's painful, it doesn't matter. There's still this truth, there's this, still this direct contact with what you're doing, and that's what matters. That's what, of course, what is what leads to liberation, is that direct contact with your experience. Habit separates us, it distances us. So every moment that you come back to your breath, every moment that you come back to, to being mindful of some experience you're having, you're letting go of that power of habit. You're letting go of that burden, really. One teacher describes mindfulness as fresh air, bringing fresh air into your experience. I like that description. You know, another thing we've mentioned, I think, already on this retreat, and certainly very familiar in the Zen tradition, but the beginner's mind. You know, and, and of course, this is why we value the beginner's mind so much in practice. And it's challenging to have a beginner's mind. It's not so challenging at the beginning. But it gets challenging as you practice. And the reason is, is because we form habits. Very quickly, we form habits. In fact, you've probably only been here a little more than two days. And start looking around. See how many habits that we're forming. A really good place to observe is when you start getting near the bulletin board. That very quickly becomes a habit. It's very habit-forming to check out the bulletin board out because there's information, but it becomes quite habitual. It's a form of entertainment. You get stuck in doing it. You know, walking through the shoe room, immediately the head goes up. We're looking at the bulletin board, lots of interest. We recognize that it hasn't really changed much. We feel a little (laughs) discouraged by that fact, and we go walking along. And we've done that all very habitually, okay? So when we bring mindfulness to it, uh, we can begin to... uh, not always have to do the same thing over and over again. We have choices. Another area of letting go, another area of freedom. an extremely significant area of freedom. And that is letting go of our conditioned reactions to both pain and pleasure. Again, it's our conditioned reactions that limit us. When we encounter something painful, you know, the, odd, the, the usual re- response, of course, is contraction, tightness, aversion, pulling away, judging. Okay? With, pl- with pleasure, of course, it's a different reaction it's a clinging, clinging on. In terms of working with wise effort and pain, I'd like to say a couple things about pain uh, because it's a very common experience. One would just focus right now on physical pain. Because, of course, there's physical pain and there's definitely emotional pain or painful states of mind. We'll talk maybe a little bit more about that later in the retreat. But working with physical pain, it's very important to discover for yourself what wise effort is. What does wise effort mean to you in working with pain? What does it mean to be gentle? One, it means to begin to open to pain Letting go of the value judgment, that it's a bad thing. You know, To begin to just open up to it. You know, We're deeply conditioned, first of all, to think that pain is bad. To begin letting go of that value judgment. The way we let go of that judgment is through mindfulness. Because remember, mindfulness is non-judgmental attention. That's, that's its description. That's its quality. It's loving attention. Another description of mindfulness. Loving attention. It doesn't judge pain. Actually, it doesn't judge pleasure either. It just knows that it's there. It's open to it. Leads it with a very open quality, okay, non-judging. Uh, so when we begin to open to our pain with mindfulness, when we can bring some mindfulness onto the sensation itself, we're beginning to decondition our reaction to it. You know, We're beginning to relate to it in a very different way, a radically different way. We're so used to running from it as fast as we can that when we can begin to face it you know, with mindfulness, with an open heart, just allowing it to be there. You know, we don't have to like it. It's kind of the other extreme of striving. But meeting it. You know, meeting it without judging it. And also meeting your reaction. Getting to know how you rea- how you relate to pain. You know, is there fear, contraction, tightness? Seeing that. You know, recognizing that. See if you can open to the reaction itself, whether it's fear or anger. Resentment about the pain, impatience. Be mindful of that feeling. Be mindful of that reaction. And do that very quickly. Open to the pain, be aware of the reaction, then simply return again to the breathing. Working skillfully with pain. Sometimes it's helpful to stretch a little bit. There's no doubt about it. You know, if you moved at every moment of discomfort, you'd be moving a lot, maybe. You might not sit still for very long. So sometimes there's discomfort. It depends on the quality of discomfort. It depends on the condition of your body. Sometimes it's helpful to sit there. Stretch a little bit. Sit still. Be mindful of the pain. Be mindful of the reaction. And just stretch. Other times it's very important not to do that. You know, other times it's, it's much more helpful to shift. Or to stand up. Or to sit in a chair. Because what we want to do is encourage relaxation in our practice. And if we're sitting in excruciating pain, it's a little bit challenging to relax. Yeah. It's not impossible, but it's challenging. And so to help bring the mind into balance, you know, because if you're in excruciating pain, quite often there's a lot of reactivity there, whether we know it or not. A lot of tension around that. It can become overwhelming and predominant in the practice. And so if you find that, is happening and you're sitting. You should open up, free yourself, sit in a chair, try a new posture, try a bench. Finding that balanced way, that balanced effort of working. Be gentle, be compassionate. No need to judge yourself or the practice for the pain, but see if you can meet it with an open heart. It's very, very good training. Not only in working with physical pain, but emotional pain too. In working with pleasure, I guess there's a number of pleasures that we experience on retreat. They may not be as many as we're used to. Um, but certainly one area that is very common, this area of pleasure, is, is of course, the world of thoughts, uh, the worlds of fantasy, and daydreams, and planning. Uh, and, you know, it can get... Uh, they're very seductive, really, when you're sitting there and you're feeling very bored or restless or, you know, just kind of tired of doing the practice. Uh, you know, it's very easy to trip off and go off into that world of uh, fantasy, uh, into the world of daydreams, or, or start planning sometimes even your next retreat, even if you're hating it. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you can plan for anything. And, 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 and so often it's, it's, you know, all of this stuff, it's natural to have all of these things come up. But, you know, it's when you get caught by it that it becomes a problem. You know, when we begin to rely on the world of fantasy, you know, when we begin to rely on the world of daydream, or or we rely on plans for our refuge, you know, a refuge from maybe what's unpleasant, a refuge from what's happening in the present, it creates tension in the mind. Because we're always dealing with, whether we know it or not, we always have to deal with what is. And when we cling on to these uh, very momentary experiences of pleasure, uh, it creates tension. Because they are momentary. It's a setup. Much better, much, much better to begin pointing the mind in a direction that is more useful. Much more useful to begin to point the mind towards inner freedom. Much more useful to begin to cultivate and make a conscious choice to cultivate qualities like concentration. One of the, one of the uh, potential, anyways, fruits of being on a retreat is that we can do things, some, you know, uh, it's a little simple, and so in some ways we can, you know, create a space to support us at least in doing it more uh, wholeheartedly, you know, in a more focused way. And we can develop concentration, a mind that's very focused and steady. And that can develop through the retreat. might not feel very focused right now, but it does develop as the retreat goes on, and I feel it in the room a higher level of concentration in this room than there was at the beginning, that's for sure. No doubt about it. From Saturday night to now, this room feels really different. And that's a reflection of concentration. That's a reflection of one's growing capacity to be able to be with your experience in a more steady, relaxed, silent way. And you know, when the mind begins to get more focused, when we develop more freedom, when we become less reactive, through working with these energies, the mind then begins to respond through relaxation. We begin to relax into our experience. We begin to relax with experience. We begin to relax with life the way it is. And that's extremely freeing, and that is a more reliable refuge than some fleeting, pleasant experience. And of course, that's what we're doing on retreat right now, is discovering within ourselves. What is a more reliable refuge for us? What does genuinely, wholeheartedly lead to peace, to happiness? And that's really the work we're doing. So every moment that you come back and choose the present, Certainly, it doesn't mean that you're always going to be in the present. But when you make that very gentle, persevering effort to keep coming back, whether you're sitting, walking, moving about, you know, you're really choosing freedom. You're choosing freedom. You're choosing the now. Let's sit for a couple minutes. Thank you, and please continue with your practice, being both gentle yet persevering.